All right, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6, and I'll be reading uh, some from chapter 7. The account that I'll be reading about is right before the flood and some um, after the flood or leading up to it. Um, and I'm not going to be talking a lot about the flood, but giving some uh, examples of what, what things were like before. And you'll notice that um, <clears throat> from the time, if you back up a few chapters, we just got out of, if you read in Genesis chapter 1, just out of creation. And you know, it was a wonderful time when God made the earth and he made it good. And he even made some people to go in it. But it, it starts out in chapter 6. And so from the time of creation to the time of chapter 6, a lot of things transpired. And it was not good. There was not, the things that transpired were not good. And so God took some measures. I'm going to read chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, and then chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. Starting in chapter 6. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with men, for that he also is flesh, yet his day shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that. When the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now before you get all depressed about what I just read, um, I believe that God, through Noah, developed a plan to save mankind. And it sounds like things were getting so bad that um, there was almost no hope anymore. And one of the questions that I would have, um, and I've had it for years and years, is what happened with all of the righteous people um, from the lineage of Adam, that it came down to only eight people that were saved. Um, if you look in, in the records, um, nobody knows for sure the exact day or the exact time, but it appears like Methuselah died the year of the flood. So he was, he was alive up until that time. Um, there's not a lot written about him except his age. Um, so that is one person that we know of when they died in, in Lamech died just uh, maybe several years or a few years before the flood it has been suggested that believers were killed or persecuted 
Now, the scripture, if you read the account in 6 and 7, it does not say that. So that is merely suggestion that things were, were getting bad enough, wicked enough, that the wicked people killed off the righteous people. And that is a suggestion from um, a writer or a scholar and not necessarily scripture. But either way, we do know that it came down to the earth was so wicked that God said, I have to start over. And if God says that, you know it's bad. Because God loves his people and he loved, he loved Noah. And the Bible says here that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He spared him. And that is one thing that I want to challenge with us this morning is that we look and that God can, God can say about each one of us that I have found grace in your life. Just like he found grace in Noah's life, can God find grace in your life? So one of the things that God um, has established, you'll read through all of Scripture, is God's judgment. And it started with Adam and Eve. When Eve took of the forbidden fruit, God passed judgment upon Adam and Eve because they both sinned. And you might say that was a small thing, but God also passed judgment on the serpent. He said, from this point, you have to crawl on your belly and eat the dust of the earth. So when, when people, and even in this case, the serpent defiled or disobeyed God, there was punishment. We could call the incident of the flood probably one of the greatest, if well, I would call it the greatest natural disaster in history. And also, um, there has never been a judgment like that before or since. So we could call that unprecedented up, to, up until that time. If you spend any time looking at um, judges in a circuit court, one of the things they debate when they, when they look to make a ruling is they say, is, th is this precedented or is it unprecedented? And they look for things to be fair. So um, there's all kinds of laws that they, uh, debates or things that come up, and they would look at another law that's very similar and say, well, precedents would say this, and so they make their ruling based on that. But the judgment of God in this magnitude had never happened before, so we can say it's unprecedented. It, it had never happened before, so God, in a sense, set a benchmark. And it was a benchmark that nobody forgot. At, uh, Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives, eight people totaled, remember that. It's an event that you remember. Uh, most of you here, if you were, uh, I'm gonna say 10 or older, when 911 happened in 2001, you remember. And I hear people uh, like my dad say he remembers where he was at when John F. Kennedy was shot. And things like that. You remember those things, those things ingrain your mind. You even, some people know what kind of food they ate that day. So when the flood happened, it was such a, a huge event and it set the precedence of God's judgment on evil. And I believe that for years and years and years that Noah and his three sons and their family, they passed those stories on uh, for generations, generation. But the truth is, is that God, even though his judgment of the flood was unprecedented, it was not his first choice. In fact, from the time that God told Noah that there's going to become a flood, that he's going to destroy the earth, till the flood came was over a hundred years. God gave mankind plenty of time to change their mind. And you'll see that with God, 
that whenever he, he um, puts punishment or declares prophesies punishment on a group of people, that he usually gives them a fair warning and um, asks them to repent. A very notable one is when God told Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach, and Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Now, the destruction of Nineveh would have been on a small scale with what compared to the flood. But through the, a series of events and corrections, Jonah finally made it to Nineveh, and guess what? The people repented, and God spared them. So we know from that that God is more than willing to extend his grace on people that repent. Um, in, in the book of Jude, I'm going to read a couple verses from Jude, and this refers to Enoch, and Enoch was a prophet because he prophesied. And um, he prophesied about the coming judgment, and it says that in verse 14 and 15 of the book of Jude. And it says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his, of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, when Enoch uh, prophesied this, he didn't just stop with verse 15. He describes the people that were ungodly. And it says this is what they do. These are murmurers and complainers. Now we say, well, we come to church. We, um, we're Christians. My mom and dad were Christians and, and we're good. But how many of us complain or murmur? Uh, too much rain, too hot, the food's too cold, or not enough food, or too much food. Do we complain? Do we murmur? And then it says, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaking great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. And this is just one small verse that, that Enoch prophesied about people that are ungodly. So what were the people like before the flood? They were ungodly. They were walking after their own lust. They were wicked. And Enoch prophesied that. In Ezekiel 8.16, I'm not going to read that verse, but in, in Ezekiel 8.16, um, he saw a vision and went to the temple. And in the temple, he saw 25 people with their backs against the temple, looking towards the east in worship of the sun. The 25 people would indicate that 24 were elders and the one was the high priest. So it wasn't just the elders, but it was the priest that was involved in worshiping the sun god. They had turned their backs to God and worshiped. Now, I hope none of us here will ever on a Sunday morning turn our backs to the pulpit, you might say, or the, I mean, wherever God is, and turn our, turn our faces to the sun and start worshiping the sun. But that's what Ezekiel saw. They defiled the temple. So God is saying with... Um, with the, the case of the flood, that the wickedness had gotten so great that people were not even worshiping God and, and they were going against what God had created them for. And God said, I'm going to hit the restart button. I'm going to start over with Noah and his family. <clears throat> Second Peter 2.5 says that, um, that Noah, the eighth person, was a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, 
And we know that from um, other scriptures that Noah had opposition, even when he was preaching and building the ark, um, he had to, in a sense, stand alone in the face of opposition. And that's a lesson that I've um, tried to take into my life, is that we sometimes look for the popular vote. That is what is um, very common or very easy for us as humans to do, is how do you know you're right is when everybody agrees with you. We go with a popular vote. But that's not always the case. Now, sometimes it is. When, when, when I ask for opinions, like I have an idea, I'm going to bring it to the church or to everybody. Let's, let's, you know, should we go here? And everybody says, no, that's, that was not a good idea. Okay, you're probably right if everybody agrees with that way. But when it comes to scripture, when it comes to God, when God preached righteousness, or when, sorry, when Noah preached righteousness and everybody rejected him, did not mean that he was wrong. So he had to stand up in the face of opposition. If you know the word of God, never back down from that. Always stand true to the word of God. Don't look for the popular vote of approval to know whether you're doing right or not. Always go by the word of God. There are some things that happen in history. Um, you'll find them in the Old Testament that show that God, um, even though he sent a benchmark, he never went above that benchmark. Uh, one that is a common story is, this, is the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says that the people were so wicked that he wanted to destroy them. Now, if you remember the story of when Abraham and Lot separated, that Abraham gave the choice to Lot. He said, you can pick whatever you want. You can take the mountains, you can take the plains. And Lot said, he'll take the plains. Went down there, and I don't know how many years it was, what the time span, but it came about that God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham had this conversation with God. He said, would you destroy it if you found 50 righteous people in the, in that, in the sounds of Sodom and Gomorrah? And God said, no, I will not destroy it if you can find 50. And Abraham kept coming down. Now, one thing I found interesting in that whole story was that Abraham was born, I believe, and I have to go back and check the numbers for sure, but I believe he was born either right after Noah died or right before he died. So their lives pretty much, when Noah, after the flood, Noah lived another several hundred years, and then Abraham was born. So people back then, they would pass their stories down orally, tell stories after story, generation after generation. And so Abraham would have known almost firsthand the stories of the flood. And that eight people, only eight people, righteous people, were left on the earth when the flood happened. And so I don't think Abraham is questioning God, but he's asking, would you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if you found 50 righteous people? And it came all the way down that there was only just a few people left. And God said, I will destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But I found it interesting how the connection that Abraham, he used some of the numbers and tried to get it down, tried to find out how many righteous people were in there. Um, and I think there was a, a relation with what he remembered from stories he would have heard. God repeatedly brought judgment against those that opposed the people of Israel. Uh, some of those people were Babylon, and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. God's judgment was always 
was almost always fierce and final. And God gave the people groups that he judged plenty of opportunity to repent and to uh, turn from their simple ways. <clears throat> when God pronounced judgment on Babylon, it included some specific details. And the Bible says in Isaiah 13, 17 through 20, that the bows will slaughter the young men. They will have no mercy on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes will not pity children. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. It will never be inhabited or lived in for all generations. No Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherds will make their flocks lie down there. Sin is incredibly grievous in God's eyes, and it must be punished. God's judgment on Egypt was similar to that of Babylon with some added things, and you'll find that in Isaiah 19, 5-9. It says the Nile was cursed to dry up, and the reeds and the rushes that grew there were cursed to rot away. The land would stop growing produce, and there would be no fish to be caught in what waters remained. So we see from history that God, um, when a people group turned their heart away from God, or when they turned against God's people, the nation of Israel, that God punished them. But God even did that to his own chosen people when they rejected him. God instructed Moses to warn the people of the nation of Israel that he would rain judgment down on them if they were disobedient. And Moses even said at one time, he says, take my life. And God said, I'm not going to do that in, in my own words, that no, I want you and I will start over with you. But God, um, I guess I would say through, through that God does not hate people, but he hates unrighteousness. He hates ungodliness and will punish that. In Ezekiel 33, 11, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. And I believe that God has these examples in history so that we learn from history, so that we know that wickedness, that God will punish wickedness, whether it's immediate or in the future, that God will punish wickedness or sin. But it also tells us that God has made a provision, a way for us. God promises his people that he will offer them salvation. One of the, uh, probably the most common verses in the Old Testament that would deal with that, and you know, certain verses come and go in popularity, but this was one a number of years ago that became really popular, and that's 2 Corinthians seven fourteen. And it says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. See, we are given a choice as humans. If we ever make one mistake, God doesn't say, I'm just going to punish you. He's a loving God. And God will turn if we repent. And God will give us, um, will restore us again. He will forgive us and he will heal us. But as a nation, if the people, if a, if a people group or a nation, we see that in, in the town of Nineveh, a huge wicked city, that they turned and repented in sackcloth and ashes, and God repented of his decision to destroy them, to get them killed, and they ended up, were saved because of that. One of the things we read about in, in the Genesis account 
is that God told Noah to make an ark. And one of the, uh, I want to draw some similarities between the ark as a symbol of salvation is only the righteous were allowed on the ark, but the invitation was open for everyone. Now we know from history that only eight people chose to make that walk up the ramp, you might say, and enter in the ark to follow, to follow God and to follow Noah. There was only one door to the ark. And Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, the life. No man can come unto me except the Father who sent me draws him. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Just like the people back in Noah's day, if they wanted to be saved, they had to go through the door of the ark. Now, wouldn't it have been kind of humorous if, if some of the people that day saw Noah build his big ark, and he prophesied that the world would be destroyed by a flood, that some of the people neighboring would have built a little raft and said, he might float on that, but I'm going to survive in my little raft. Now, I don't know if that happened, but it would have been kind of humorous, wouldn't it have been? But people are doing that today. They're saying that I can go to heaven my own way by what I built. When God is saying the only way to be saved is answering the call and listening to Noah and going onto the ark. That's the only way that you can be saved from destruction. And I believe Jesus is teaching us today that the only way you can be saved is through Jesus Christ. It's not through your own works or through Buddha or through worship of any other gods. It has to be through Jesus Christ. After the flood, after the whole world was destroyed, after the waters receded and Noah let the, the door opened up and Noah and his family went out and all the animals went out, one of the first things that Noah did, and that's found in 8, Chapter 8, verse 20 and 21. It says, And Noah builded an ark unto the Lord, and he took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And it says, And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. So God looked at what he did, and, he, and when, when Noah offered the burnt offering, it says that he smelled a sweet savor. Now I know we got fellowship dinner here today, and you can smell some of that. And it smells good, especially if you're hungry. But I believe what God smelled with the sacrifices that Noah offered was way, way more than what you smell now. It was that, that sweet aroma coming up to him of worship. Something that he longs for each one of us to do is worship God. And while we don't offer sacrifices like Noah did, we offer sacrifices of praise. We offer sacrifices of prayer to God. And, and that is what God wants to smell. He loves our worship and our adoration to him. One of the most beautiful things in life is a pure heart that worship, worships and adore God. And while the first part we talked about God's judgment against the wickedness, and that is a necessary part, I believe, of God's character, is that He doesn't He doesn't desire that wickedness that wicked people perish, but He can't stand wickedness. 
But he loves your worship. He loves when you adore him. God's grace is always more powerful than his judgment. I want you to turn your Bibles to Revelations 21. Revelations 21, I'll be reading verses 1 through 8. What I find in Scripture is that at one time God destroyed the earth as we know it, the outer part of the earth. But there's coming a time when God will destroy this earth and make a new one. And on that new earth, he will have a new city coming down. And I'm going to read verses um, 1 through 8 in verse chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, Neither shall there be any more pain, for, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and warmongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I believe God has given us a picture of the future and he's given it to us for a reason. Because there are two things that are going to happen in the future. One is the destruction and also a new building. A building of the new earth and the new city coming down. And it's up to us today to choose which one we want to go to. Do we want to, part, do we want to be part of the lake of fire or do we want to be part of the new Jerusalem, the new city coming down from heaven? And there's little things in life that can distract us, that can destroy our relationship with God. But I would challenge us this morning that when you prepare your hearts every day for worship, and there are things that can, that can come up that can destroy that. It can be a bad relationship with someone. It can be business that doesn't go right. Uh, there are so many things in life that can take our heart away from serving God. But I believe that God has given us examples. He, he's given us a vision. He's given us a future. And he's telling us that it's time today to choose which one you want to be part of. You want to be part of the part that's destroyed in the flood and only Noah could be saved? Or in the future where God says, I'm going to build a new place. I'm going to build a new city and a new kingdom, a new earth. I know that I want to be part of that. And I don't want anything in my life to come to take that away. But hopefully I still have a few years, few years left here on this earth. But if not, 
And I want to be ready at any moment because God comes back. This past week, there's been uh, several people that we've heard of or known that have died um, through drowning and um, accidents. Those people had no clue that they were going to die that morning when they woke up. We don't either know the day that we die. But we do know what is coming in the future, and it's, it's time for, or the time is now for us to decide where we want to go. So I want to leave that a challenge this morning. So remember Revelation 21, where the promise of God is a new heaven and a new earth, and that's the place we want to go. God bless you.